Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Father, as we come to you, we pray that we would indeed stand and take our instruction and guidance from your word and your word alone. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go and have a seat. And uh, take your Bibles and open up to Genesis chapter 15. We are making our way through Genesis and uh, we're going to be in Genesis through the end of the year. We're going to go all the way to the end of Genesis. And uh, one thing I just wanted to highlight and kind of bring your attention to, when you came in, um, you should have gotten one of these handouts. Uh, this is something that I've started trying to do each week. We used to do it kind of just for anyone who wanted one out here. Um, here's why I'm doing this, okay? I want you all, I want to challenge you all, to not allow Sunday to be the only time you're thinking or talking about our time in Genesis. Alright? And so the front side of this is focused on just this morning. The main idea, you can fill in the blanks as we go. Some people like that. Um, so you don't just have a blank note page. But the back side is really for you to take and use throughout the week. Um, and it starts with lunchtime conversation. Okay, we have these great opportunities as a family, with friends, whoever it might be, when you go uh, sit down at lunch today, or tomorrow, or wherever it might be, um, specifically, today, you can see what area of life are you most prone to doubt God's plan, and what are steps you can take to remind yourself of His promises and His faithfulness. Fantastic lunch discussion, um, where you build community together and you grow together in scripture. And then it gives you some other opportunities to dig deeper. Alright? I want to ch- challenge you uh, to do this. Uh, because it's going to solidify even further what we talk about today. So, take advantage of that. And there's another resource out here at Center Point. It's called the Here Card. H-E-A-R. And it is going to guide you through personal study. So if you, whether you're going through Genesis or you're going through another book of scripture right now, or maybe you're not doing anything this would be a way for you to be resourced to do it. Uh, my goal is Ephesians 4.12 to equip you for the work of ministry. That's my God-given responsibility as one of your shepherds. So I want to give you as much resourcing as I can to do that. Here's the catch. I can't make you do it. All right? Um, But I will tell you, what you are hearing today is not enough for you to become like Jesus tomorrow. You need to be in Scripture and in community regularly. And there are opportunities for you to do that, but you have to want that and you have to step into that. You have to make that choice, okay? So if there's other ways that... We can better resource you or equip you. We want to do just that. 
Um, Genesis chapter 15, uh, even those of you online, thanks for joining us today. I want to make sure you have scripture in front of you too, unless you're driving, and then don't try to pull out your Bible and read at the same time, but commit to doing this later in the week as well. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you, of page 12, all right? Genesis is the first book of the Bible, so page 12 on one of those pew Bibles, Make sure you have your eyes on Scripture. Now, I'm curious for you to think about something this morning. I want you to think about how do you respond to doubt? How do you respond to doubt? Now, as I thought about this this week, I, I came up with three primary ways I think people respond to doubt. One is they ignore it. Two is, they try to solve it. And thirdly, they just stress about it. They just kind of sit and stew about it. I doubt this, or I'm struggling with this, and so I'm just going to sit and muddle in it. And chances are, you probably fall into one of those three categories. You might have another way of dealing with doubt, but... uh, Those three ways, ignore it, solve it, or stress about it. But many times when we encounter doubt, it's quickly followed by fear. Everyone say fear. Now, what's really interesting about fear is how it affects you mentally, psychologically. And I was recently listening to this talk by a guy named Dr. John Deloney, and he was talking about the impact of fear on our brains and how it works. And what he talks about in this section of this video is he talks about how a fear activates this part of your brain called the amygdala. Everyone say amygdala. And the amygdala is responsible for producing stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline. And what it does is it helps you identify threats and respond accordingly to them. So something dangerous or scary happens, your amygdala is what activates and goes, run! Get out! Or, more specifically, when we are encountered with a fear and the amygdala is responding, it will respond in one of three ways, which are fight, what? Flight, or freeze, right? I'm going to stand up and try to fight. If I can't do that, I'm going to try to run. If I can't do that, then I might just freeze. If you're a possum, you play dead. Okay? But there's another part of your brain that functions regularly. It's called the prefrontal cortex. This is all part of Dr. John Deloney's talk that he's giving. And what the prefrontal cortex is responsible for is thinking and response. So checking your memory. But what happens when the amygdala detects a threat is that the prefrontal cortex shuts off. It stops working. And when your brain goes into fight, flight, or freeze, your brain trades accuracy for speed. In that moment of fear, I really don't care about unpacking the situation. I'm just trying to respond. Now, when we think about that and we recognize that, I want you to think about what can happen if something or someone can activate your amygdala and you stop processing and you start just trying to solve. You you just start trying to react or respond. 
Now, where this comes to tie in and introduce our text today is that spiritually, our fears and doubts are often rooted in our inability to see when or how God will fulfill His promises. Our spiritual fears and doubts are often rooted in us not being able to fully grasp when or how God is going to work. And you're going to see an example, a perfect example of that today in Abram and Sarah and what happens in Genesis 15 and 16. But if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to really grab hold of this. And I'm going to challenge you to memorize this. Because this is a tool you need in your toolbox when you are prone to switch into amygdala response mode to step back and be able to process and actually think critically about what is going on. And it's simply this statement. His plan is best. His promises are sure. His timing is perfect. Wait on the Lord. It's really that simple. Honestly, we could be done here and go about the day, but I want you to see clearly where we see all of this take place in Scripture. Okay? So where we brought, come to this point, Abram is called by God to leave home. He leaves everything he's ever known, steps out in faith. While they're traveling, they enter Egypt. Abram's faith falters. He lies about who... He tells his wife to lie about who she is. That causes a big problem. Now he's back to where he kind of began. And uh, then he saves Lot, his nephew, and has this great victory in a uh, conquest war scenario. And that's what we saw in 14, chapter 14. And now this brings us to a new side of Abram that we really haven't seen a lot of. But it begins with the Lord affirming something about himself. Let's look at chapter 15, verse 1. It says, After these things... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And this is what God said. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So, really quickly, God just simply reaffirms that He's got this. God's in control. Praise the Lord. Abram, don't fear. I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. Boom. He is in control and the promise that God has reaffirmed over and over is still true. Praise God for his patience with us. Now, in the face of this reaffirmation, um, Abram reveals one of the first causes of doubt that we see here. And that is there's concern in Abram over lack of movement. Okay, this is the first cause of doubt that we see in this text. And verse 2, here's what it says. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. There's the concern. The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Now, think about this for a second. Years have passed since God first 
promised this to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. Abram has gone through a lot of different places. And many of you can resonate with Abram's frustration here. Where you're looking at this and you've seen God work and move, but you struggle some days because it seems like nothing is changing. Nothing is happening. Lack of movement and it causes his doubt to spring up in the midst of us. And we start questioning, God, I I see that you've promised this in your word, but I I don't see when this is going to happen. Because it doesn't seem like you're doing much. You've heard and read his promises, but... Honestly, some of you, your spiritual life has kind of gotten to a slothful place. You read and pray sometimes, but you've grown weary of waiting. Now, God responds to this, and on your notes, it's kind of going to jump between these three categories a little bit if you're taking notes on that sheet you got. But look at what God says here in chapter, uh, verse 5. It says, and he brought him outside. So God brings Abram outside. Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, he being Abram, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So here's what God does. In the face of fear and doubt, in the face of Abram's doubts, his greatest doubts being, God, I don't see how you're going to fulfill this promise because you've left me childless and time has continued to move on. I think it's going to have to be my heir. And God goes, no, that's not what I said. I'm going to reaffirm my promise to you. And each one of these places, 12, 1 through 3, 13, 14 through 17, and right here in 15, verse 5, God reaffirms his promise to Abram. It's still true. And in the face of our greatest doubts, God reaffirms his promises. We talked about that last week. He reaffirms his promises through his word, through victory, and through other people. God is faithful to do that. But oftentimes in the midst of our doubt, we fail to see that. God is present in your waiting. Now, in the rest of 15, we see here that God gives Abram this task to bring a a sacrifice. And if you actually jump down and start uh, at verse 17... We see that God not only reaffirms his promises, but he reaffirms his presence with Abram. Chapter 15, verse 17, it says, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. as pieces of animal that God had instructed Abram to cut in half and lay on the altar. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So here, God not only affirms his promises to Abram, he reaffirms his presence with him. Praise God for that. Now, after all of this has taken place, we might assume everything would be great. 
God's reaffirmed his promises. He's showed up in big ways. I mean, how many times would you and I say, you know, if I could just see a sign, then I would be okay. I have doubts, but man, if God could show up in some way, some big way, then, then I could really root into this. And yet we see a perfect example over and over again in the Old Testament. Okay? You and I are no different, trust me, you would be no different than Abram here if God showed up in this powerful way. And how many times has that happened? How many times has God shown up and then we forget about it? And we move right on into our fleshly way of handling this or dealing with this. You struggle because it just seems like things aren't happening. How many times do we walk in response to our doubts, which leads to fear, which leads to fight, flight, or freeze, and we forget to remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God? Unfortunately, what happens next in this narrative in chapter 16 reveals just how fragile we are in our consistent dependence on the Lord. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So here we see the second cause of doubt in this narrative. Not just lack of movement, but the inability to see how. How will God do this? And now we see this specifically in Sarai. How will God do this? Now I want us to just step back for a minute. Because often this narrative focuses so much on Abram that we miss something here. And we miss the perspective of Sarai. This is devastating for her. Years she has waited and longed for God to fulfill this promise her husband has spoken about. We can almost hear the cries at night. The wounded longing as she no doubt watched others experience the joy of children she longed to experience. Watching others experience the satisfaction of knowing that their family legacy would be preserved. We can assume that she struggled with the Lord in that season. Dealing with an impatience in his timing. And now quickly seeing her age set in and the time for child bearing fading. We see in Sarai a reality that happens even today. And that is when faced with doubt and fear, we look for solutions outside of God's design. Now, culturally, the practice of having a maidservant bear children was not that uncommon. As crazy as that, that sounds. And no doubt, Hagar being an Egyptian was more than likely brought into their people group when they went through Egypt and Sarai ended up as one of Pharaoh's wives because of their seeking to take matters into their own hands the first time. Okay? This is an ongoing perpetual cycle that takes place here. 
And this solution, ultimately, as we look throughout Scripture, this specific solution goes completely against God's design from creation, as affirmed in Genesis 2 and Matthew 19. And yet, one of the most aggravating... Honestly, alright, when you read Scripture passages, you know, it's okay to get frustrated with the people involved. And when I read this, every time I come back to it, I am... Guys, I'm so frustrated with Abram. Because he just goes along with it. Abram has had God speak to him. Oh, you know what? Yep, I think it sounds like a good plan. Now, you can make the argument, nowhere in God's promise did it say that it would be Abram's child through Sarai. That's, that's coming later. But nowhere did God tell Abram, oh, by the way, Sarah is not going to have children, and so, you know, you should make other means of doing this. Take a woman that's not your wife and have children through her. When we are in desperate seasons, we tend to try and look for a solution that goes outside of God's design. This happens today, church family. How easy it becomes to look at where we're at and look at where things have come and you go, well, you know what? God, you seem to be, you seem to be a little late to the party and so we're just going to take care of things on our own. No! Don't do that! Then we're just like Abram. Someone suggests something that God has not said and we end up just like Abram. Oh, you know what? That'll work. No! It's really interesting. I read, I thought, I want to share this with you. It's from a, a Genesis commentary um, by John H. Shalehamer. And here's what he said, and I loved this parallel. He said, Moses wrote the account as a parallel to the fall in the garden. Sarai's actions was parallel to that of Eve. Here, Abram listened to his wife just as Adam listened to his Here, Sarai took Hagar just as Eve took the fruit. Here, Sarai gave Hagar to her husband just as Eve gave the fruit to hers. And in both cases, the man willingly and knowingly partook. And I will remind you that in both instances, God had given the specific promise to the man. And I want to speak directly to you brothers in our church family. You have a responsibility to uphold the truth of what God has said and what He hasn't. You have a responsibility to do that in your homes. You have a responsibility to do that in our church family. And God will hold you accountable for how you walk in obedience or disobedience To his commands. It shouldn't surprise us that all of this causes quite a stir around Abram's tent. Revealing a second response of God in the face of fear and doubt. And that's this. We see that God allows natural consequences for our actions. This is true throughout all of scripture. And sometimes we get this idea or this picture about who God is that He is this super chill, laid back guy who goes, Oh, you messed up. It's alright. 
I love you. Just keep going. It'll be good. And we totally forsake the fact that God is just. And God is holy and he's righteous, which means he's going to bring about justice. And sometimes that justice is that you made a very unfortunately bad decision and there are consequences for that. And there are a lot of times that those consequences may stick with you for the rest of your life. And I want you to hear something in this. God's grace is not dependent on you having everything together. But God's grace also does not somehow nullify the consequences of your past behavior. Some of you have experienced those long-term effects and you may be sitting here doubting God's faithfulness because you go, life is still really hard. Yes. And that very well may be more an indication of your decisions than it is of anything to do with God's faithfulness. And we have to understand this and recognize that God will allow natural consequences for our actions. This is a very common conversation we have in our home with our children. If you decide that you're going to jump off of the couch, you might get hurt. And if you get hurt jumping off the couch, chances are mom and dad aren't going to feel sorry for you. Because we have said that on the couch we sit or lay. The expectation has been set. If you break that expectation, you will suffer a natural consequence. The same is true in our spiritual lives. Understand what God has promised, what He has said, and walk in obedience. Now, in verse 4 through 6, it says, And he, he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So, Hagar gets pregnant, and now she realizes she has something that Sarai, her master, doesn't. And so she flaunts it over her. Verse 5, Sarai said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, another place I get frustrated, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. There are consequences for disobedience that you cannot undo. In this case, strife continued between Sarai and Hagar. Hagar was, Hagar was used in this situation without any consideration for how she felt about this matter. In the midst of trying to take matters into their own hands, Sarai becomes the collateral damage. And Abram, rather than taking responsibility for this mess, passively tells his wife to deal with it, bringing about another reality that we see today, which is, in the face of doubt and fear, we passively deflect our own failure to obey. And we saw this in the Garden of Eden, right? When Eve took the fruit and gave it to Adam, then God comes to Adam and Adam says, It was her fault! She did it! 
And then Eve goes, there's a serpent. He made me do it. In the face of the fear that we go, our fight or flight response goes, ah, it wasn't me. I'm not to blame. You are always to blame for the decisions that you make. Every choice that you make is your responsibility, whether you realize that or not. In the face of doubt and fear, we tend to passively try and move it away from ourselves. Now picture all of this now, church family. God's perfect promise has been given to Abram, taken into their own hands in order to expedite the timeline. Now Abram and Sarai are fighting. Sarai continues childless and broken. Hagar has been used without consideration for her own desires and has been treated horribly after being used. And Hagar has now run off. What a mess. And in the midst of our mess... God extends abundant grace and mercy to his people. Look at verse 7 through 16, this last section. It says, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The spring on the way to shore, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come and from where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel returned, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hands against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bershalarai. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Here's what we see. In the face of fear and doubt, God reminds us that he sees. The terminology used there is El-Rohi, which means the God who sees. Some of you here today are experiencing a season of brokenness. Some of you here today are experiencing great doubt about life, maybe even eternity. Some of you here today are trying to take matters into your own hands and expedite what you believe to be rightfully yours. May I simply remind you, his plan is best. His promises are sure and his timing is perfect and challenge you to wait on the Lord. Now, in the waiting, this doesn't mean that we become passive, slothful, idle followers of Jesus, but rather we become confident, sure, steady lights in the midst of the darkness. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna have the worship team come up and I wanna read, uh, I, w- I want you to just flip over with me to 2 Peter, 
as we prepare to close this time. Second Peter chapter three, second Peter chapter three, and I'm going to start in verse nine. And I, I just want you to. To hear this exhortation of Peter to the church. This is one of the most beautiful aspects of scripture in that we see even across over 1500 years of writing that that so perfectly fits. How do we apply this? Verse 9, it reminds us, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and hastening, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. This presents a need. What type of people, who are we as the church to be while we are waiting? Verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these... Be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand with the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved... Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So how do I do this? I want to give you three ways to do this in practice today, church family. Number one. Revisit the promises of God. Know what they are. Know what they aren't. Read your Bible. Know what God has promised and what He hasn't. Secondly, be still. It's hard to be still. Can, does anyone agree with that? Is it hard to be still? I mean, honestly, it is. It's even more difficult today because it's so accessible to distract ourselves with other things. Remind yourself of the promises of God and then be still before God to hear Him. And thirdly, I want you to simply memorize and repeat that statement. And I want us to say that together. Okay, On your note sheet, it's on the front page, the main idea, as we prepare to close. And then we're going to sing this song, I Will Wait we're going to sing that promise together. Okay, so I'm going to have you stand. I want you to look at that paper. And I want you to say this with me, the main idea in the gray box. Okay? Let's say this together. His plan is best. 
His promises are sure. His timing is perfect. Wait on the Lord. Father, give us the ability to truly wait on you. Even in the hardest seasons of our life, that we would not try to take matters into our own hands, but that we would trust faithfully in the promise that ultimately has been given to us in Jesus, that we can have life with Christ through what he has done on our behalf. God, may we recognize our sinfulness and our need for your help. And may we depend fully upon you for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.